We're continuing a series called Just Wondering, where I've been taking a bunch of hot topics that people have asked and questions that people have asked to me through, through, through many years of ministry and decided, you know what, we'll just, we'll just talk about them here in a large group. So if you have your, your Bibles, your iPads, your Droids, your iPhone, your Nook, your Kindle, whatever media you use for His Word, if you would grab that and you'd go to Matthew chapter 13, Romans chapter 1. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 13 first as we look at this subject of hell one last time. And then we're going to look at the teachings of Paul in Romans chapter 1. They both have great great insight for us. Now listen, you know we've been talking, last week we started out talking about a literal hell and a real hell. And so whenever a pastor, whenever people begin talking about hell, then all of a sudden the question comes and there's a little bit of pushback and people will ask a question, well, well, wait a minute, why would a loving God send someone to hell? Ever heard that question? I mean, why, that doesn't make, why would a loving God send someone to hell? Now the problem with that question is this, it's very accusatory. It accuses God of not being loving, not being just, not being fair. And so sometimes when that question is asked, it's asked with the pretense that, you know what? God is not a loving God. God is not a fair God. God is not a just God. And God gives unfair judgment. So why would a loving God send someone to hell? Now, some people may ask that question with, with just because that, man, they'd like to know. And so maybe a better way to phrase that would be this. Would would a loving God, help me understand this, would a loving God send someone to hell? Now, I understand and I get it. Hell is a, is a, is a topic that's discussed a, a lot and there's, there's people with different views of hell. Uh, fact is, the Bible says less and less of us are believing in the literal and, and, and real hell. Fact is, it's, a, it's less than 60, 60% now of people that believe in a literal and a real hell that it's a real place. Uh, fact is, the L.A. Times reported that one half of one percent of the people in the U- U.S. view themselves as going there or that's their destination. People have all different views of what hell is like, right? I mean, I'd never forget when Karen and I were first married and she, she wanted me to take her to a, a craft show. And... Uh, Some of you jumping ahead. (laughs) And I did not want to go. I I mean, I'd never never dreamed like, oh boy, I hope one day I get the opportunity to go to the world's largest craft show. And and you know, you're newlyweds, you're newly married, what are you going to do? You're going to go, right? And so I, I took her, and so I got to the craft show, and you know what? They had like turkey legs and, and that you could eat. They had, they had uh, kettle corn. They had a bunch of fried stuff. They had roasted almonds, and they had all this food. And so I got there, and I thought, you know what? This craft show isn't so bad. <laughs> There's some people that have that view of hell. I know it sounds like a bad place. But when I get there, it probably won't be that bad. That's why you hear people say things like, well, you know what? I don't want to go to heaven where all the Christians are. I want to go to hell where my drinking buddies are or where like it's this eternal frat party for the rest of your life. The problem is the Bible does not say and state that hell is like that. The fact is the Bible says this, a couple of things about hell that hell is a place of darkness and a bottomless pit. Why is that so tragic and so important? 
Psychologists tell us for humans, for you and I, to have mental stability, comfort, peace of mind, we have to have two things. Something solid. Something to stand on, something to touch, something to grab onto. And we have to have light. Without those two things, it is unsettling. And the Bible says this, that hell is a place of darkness, emptiness, no solid. It means no relationships. You'll be totally separated from all relationships. As I was praying through this message and just praying through this talk and started thinking, what, Lord, what do you want me just to, to communicate and, and how do you want me to communicate this? I decided that, you know what, I'm just going to tell you the three reasons why I, as your pastor, believes in a literal and real hell. In relationships, there has to be communication, right? There has to be honesty. There has to be transparency. It's the deepest form of relationships. And so I decided, you know what I'll do this morning in the time that we have together? I'll just give you the three reasons why I, as your pastor, believe that hell is a real place and a literal hell. And we'll discuss those two questions along the way, our journey this morning. So the first reason is this. The reason that I believe in a literal hell and hell is a real place is because Jesus taught it. I mean, it wasn't just some vague references in Scripture. It wasn't just one or two verses of the Bible. I mean, when you look at this subject of hell, you realize that Jesus taught about this subject over and over and over. He taught about hell more than, more than love. He taught about hell more than heaven. I mean, in Matthew alone... Jesus taught over 12 times on the subject of hell that is a real place, that is a literal place. Matthew chapter 13, verse 47, Jesus begins this talk, and he starts talking to this, this group of people about hell is a real place and hell is a literal place. And so watch this, uh, verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. And when it was full, men drew it ashore, sat down, and sorted the good into containers, but... They threw the bad away. So will it be at the close of this age? Oh, no. So the, the hearers of this are going, wait a minute. He's, he's talking about an eternal destiny. I mean, he's talking about something serious here. He's just not talking about fish. I mean, he's talking about something serious here. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into a fiery furnace. In that Here's the word. In that place, hell is a literal place. Hell is a real place. And he says, oh, in, in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, on more than one occasion, Jesus taught about this subject. And you know what? I think it was difficult for him to talk about as well, just as it is for me. But he did it because he loves us and because he cares for us. And we're going to see as we walk through his word that he doesn't desire that any person would reject him and end up there. And so in this talk, in this sermon that he gave, he says, at the end, at the end of this age, it'll be heaven or hell. 
And those that followed me, those that knew me, will go to heaven. But the others, there's this place. Now remember, hell was not created for people. We learned that last week, week, right? Hell was never created for people. Fact is, what Jesus said in Matthew, hell was only created for Satan and his demons. But here's the good news. John chapter 14, what was prepared for humans, what was prepared for all of us? Heaven. And so Jesus begins talking, and this must have been just a difficult sermon as he was preaching. And then, and then he looked at them in verse 51. And he asked an interesting question. One time, just study the questions that Jesus asked all the way through the Gospels. It's fascinating, the questions that he would ask. And all of a sudden, Jesus asked this question. He says, have you understood these things? You understand the seriousness of what I'm talking about, right? Have you understood these things? And they looked at him. Maybe like a lot of us, said, yeah, we get it. We understand it. Not rocket science. Not difficult to understand. You've made it pretty clear, not only here, but, but, but many other times when you preach sermons and you've taught on this concept of, and this, this place of hell and this place of heaven. Not hard. I bet you if I ask you and we polled you and says, you understand these things? You understand that it's a heaven and a hell? You would probably say, Yeah, we get it. Charlie, not hard. Not rocket science. We're not having trouble with the understanding. We're having trouble with the accepting. It's not the understanding. We're just struggling with accepting this. Why should I accept this? See, that's a great question. Why should I accept this? Because that's where I'm at. You know why I accept this? I have learned in my life to trust the writings of Jesus, Scripture, to trust Jesus Christ and what He says in every area of my life. Whether it's marriage, sex, how to handle my money, how to love one another, how to walk through forgiveness so I don't end up bitter and angry and no relationships around me, how to handle parenting and children, how to care about the less fortunate and the poor. How to understand it is not all about me. I'm telling you, I have zero regret in my life where I have trusted Him. But I've got a dump truck load of regret when I have thought I am smarter than Him, wiser than Him. And when I have thought, he doesn't know what he's talking about. It's outdated. We're in a new time. 
I'm telling you, zero regret where I've taken his word and applied it in my life and my relationships, zero. Tons of regret. When I believed I was smarter or wiser than him, I think this, that since he is the only person to live on this earth, he was God who became flesh, that lived on this earth without sin, died, crucified, buried, resurrected. That the resurrection has been verified, biblical and extra-biblical writings, eyewitnesses account, experienced heaven and hell on our behalf, I may appreciate your opinions, your perspective, and your view on hell. But he is the most authoritative person I know. Bar none. The reason I accept is because I accept his word. personal opinion I believe if we deny his teachings on hell we call him a liar you'd have to rip out most of his teachings second reason why I believe in a literal, real hell, is God sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, to save us from hell. Jesus Christ came and, and gave Himself on a Christ, cross to, to build a bridge between the love of God and the justice of God. I mean, he came and offered His life. The, God is a, a just God. God is a, a fair God. And God does not give any unfair judgments. The fact is, God will never give an unfair judgment on any person. And the scripture tells us that he became a a substitute for us, that he went to the cross. Now, let me ask you, as a parent, what would cause the God of the universe to send his only son to this earth To be beaten, betrayed, ridiculed, mocked, made fun of, and sent him to the cross, our substitute, he who knew no sin became sin for us if we weren't in spiritual danger of going to hell. That'd be cruel, right? Just by the very fact that Jesus not only taught on it, but that God sent his son to the cross, to save us. See, Romans chapter 2 says, we don't even realize the love, the kindness, and the patience 
of a loving God. Romans chapter 2, verse 4. Here we go. He says, Or do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience? See, there are some people that think, because I'm living the life that I am and nothing bad's happening and God isn't doing it, he must, he must approve. No. God is patient towards us. God is kind towards us. Why? Watch this. Not knowing that God's kindness is meant what? To lead you to repentance. The very fact that you're here this morning, God is patient with you. Can you imagine what it, was, what, what, what it would be like? Like a child. When a child reaches up, if a child reaches up and grabs a hot stove, the child what? Immediately gets burnt. Can you imagine what it would be like in God's economy? The moment we rejected him, turned our back on him, he zapped us, took us home. God is a patient, loving God. That's why sometimes we look at some people and we look at their actions and we're like, why didn't God do something? Because God is a loving, patient God desiring that they accept him, desiring that they repent, desiring that they turn towards him. 2 Peter 3.9 says this, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promises, some count slowness, but is patient towards you. I don't know about you, but I thank the Lord that he is patient with me. Why is he patient with you? Why is he patient with me? Because he desires that no one, par- he desires that we turn to him. Not wishing, watch this, that any should, okay, got that right, any? You're an any. <laughs> that is everyone. That is everyone. Desiring, not wishing that any should perish. But that you should reach repentance. The fact that You're here this morning. Is because he is a loving and a patient God. But we still get this question. How could a loving God send someone to hell? Second Peter two one says he doesn't. But people send themselves there every day. That it's their choice. It's a result of, of their choice that they have rejected him. I mean, go through the Old Testament. Just read through the Old Testament. It is the stories of men that are pleading with a group of people. Please, turn to him. A lot of the prophets of the Old Testament, they're brokenhearted people. And they are begging people, just turn to him. Don't you see the love of God? Don't you see the kindness of God? Don't you see the patience of God? Just please turn towards him. See, God has created you, and God has created me with a free will. In other words, that he reveals himself to you, and you can choose to accept, or you can choose to reject. Listen, the greatest blessing that God has given us is free will. 
You get that, right? God has given you a free will. God has given me a free will. And by that, we have the choice. We can make the choice to either accept him or to reject him. It is your choice for the believer that makes the choice. It says, I want to know more about you, and I want to have a relationship with you, and I want to have a relationship with your church and the Word and, and, uh, and other believers. Then God says, I'll, I'll honor that for eternity. And for the non-believer that says, I reject you. And I reject your word. And I reject the church. And I, I reject the teachings of Jesus Christ. He says, I'll honor that. For all eternity. Free choice one of the greatest blessings God has given us. If you change someone to the chair, to a chair, and you spent a day with them, just visiting with them, at the end of the day, would you look at them and say, hey, thanks for spending the day with me? You wouldn't, right? Because why? Because they were forced to spend the day with you. See, when someone has to love you, when someone is forced to love you, that is meaningless, right? But when someone has a choice, when someone has free will, and it is up to them to make that decision to love you, that is meaningful. When someone has to love you, forced to love you, demanded to love you, meaningless, but when they have free choice and they choose to love you, meaningful. Do you realize, for free, do you realize here this morning that you bless the heart of God? Why? Because you chose this morning to worship Him. You are not chained to a chair. He did not make you come here this morning. He did not make you engage in worship with Him. He didn't make you, He didn't, you are not chained to a chair. It blesses the heart of God. God smiles on you. God smiles on us when we worship him and we say we love you and we want a relationship with you. That blesses the heart of God because we are not chained to a chair. You could have done a thousands. You could have been watching the Broncos right now and you chose to worship him. When you have to love someone, and God has not created any of us, he, is, he will not force you to accept him. He will not make you worship him. Why? Meaningless. But it is meaningful. When we choose to worship him, even as Pastor Chad talked in worship, when we choose to worship him, when we're going through difficulty and we're going through hurt and we're going through pain and circumstances may not be ideal in our life. So would a loving God send someone to... No. But people do it every day of their life. Your eternal destination is made by you. You have free choice. He's not going to force you. I just wrote this down in my journal because a lot of times when we get to this, we, we want to blame God. So we'll blame God and say, well, why would a loving God send someone to hell? Or, 
or, or, or how about the pygmies or how about someone on the other side of the world who has never heard? We're always worried about that person, and usually we're not even telling our friends about him. But we're worried about the person on the other side of the world that may not hear. And we like to blame God. And so I just wrote this in my journal. If someone is lost, it is not because what has what God has done. It is in spite of what God has done. And people say, well, what about that person who has never heard the gospel? What about that person who, is, who has never been told? What about that person that is on the other side of the world? Now, listen, let's deal with that question. But you never take a spiritual question and answer it with human logic. You always use his word. Do you realize the Bible answers every spiritual question? Everyone, the Bible has an answer to. Romans chapter 1, verse 19. God actually answers this question. Watch this. We'll just let the word speak. Verse 19. For what can be known about God is, oh wow, plain to them. Everyone is a them. Everyone. Because, so here we go again. Why? Because God is the one that showed it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world. And the things that have been made, so here we go again. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, in other words, they knew of him, they knew about him, they weren't in relationship with him. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God, give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. So do you realize what this says? The Bible says that God has been revealing himself to men and women since the beginning of time. Since creations, now theologians will use a couple of terms for this, the general revelation of God and the specific or the personal revelation of God. So the general revelation of God is outward, specific is inward. That God has revealed himself, God has revealed himself since creation, God continues to reveal himself outwardly and inwardly. How can someone look at Pike's Peak in the morning, the Rockies, a sunset, a sunrise. Witness the birth of a child and not say there has to be a God. How can someone look at creation, the heavens and the earth and all of the creations, and not just ask that question? There has to be a God. But he says that he witnesses to us outwardly, but he also says that he witnesses to us, reveals himself to us inwardly. And he says that they will be without excuse. So on that day, when someone says, no one ever told me, God will say, I told you. I told you. I revealed to my, myself to you outwardly. I revealed myself to you inwardly. I am the one. You are not without excuse because I am the one that revealed myself. I'm the one that revealed myself to you. I'm the one that gave you that hunger in your heart. I'm the one that gave the Holy Spirit to draw you to me. I am the one that you had to do something to reject that. See, for me, the question is not how could, how could a loving God and would God send someone to hell? That's not the question for me. You know what the question for me is? How could someone reject the love of God? How could someone see creation? See everything that's going on. Experience the blessings of God. And how could that person time and time and time again 
reject his love. What he says is, every person has enough information to accept me. See, we look at this world and we get so fascinated with our, our inventions, right? Everything we come up with is temporal. You, no matter how good the invention is, everything we come up with is temporal. His is eternal, but everything we come up with, temporal. Realize in about 10 years, your iPad, your, your iPhone, it's going to be an antique. It'll be hanging on the walls of Cracker Barrel in like 10 years. Yeah, I heard it. Android, okay. <laughs> Our greatest inventions, they're going to come and go. And he says, I've been testifying to you in the heavens and the moons and the stars and Pike's Peak and the sunsets and sunrises, birth of a child, birth of animals. Things that your smartest scientists can't even figure out, can't even understand. I'm the one that holds the universe, what Colossians says, together. The only reason it's still holding together is because of me. I don't get it. I don't get it how God can do all he's done for us. And people still reject him. Last thing is this, is anyone who sincerely seeks God will find him. This is just huge for me. One of the reasons that I accept this is because the word teaches, and I've witnessed it, that anyone who sincerely seeks him, or diligently is what the scripture says, we'll look at that. But anyway, it, it means that a sincere seeker, a, a seeker with integrity. Now, there are some seekers, and they're like, hit me with your best shot. And they're like, already excusing away everything of God. I'm talking about a seeker that has great integrity. That says, I want to find you. I want to understand this. Total difference. But look at this. Uh, Proverbs 8.17. He says, I love those who love me. Why? Because you are not chained to a chair. He's not going to force you to worship him. He's not going to force you to give to him. He's not going to force you to do anything. Why? Because you are not chained to a chair. You have free will. I love those who love me. And those who seek me diligently, watch this. What a promise. They find me. Those diligent seekers, those people that diligently seek me, they find me. Jeremiah 29, 13. You will seek me and find me. When? You're a sincere seeker. When you seek me with all your mind and your heart, your will and your emotions. That's a huge promise. Jesus said it this way in Matthew uh, chapter 7. He's talking about this issue of salvation. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the only one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be open. And which one of you, if his son asks him for a, a bread will give him a stone because God is what? God is a fair God. God is a just God. God is a loving God. He will not give an unfair judgment. Or if he asks for a fish, we'll give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to you, to those who, who ask him? Scripture is littered 
with teachings about coming to Christ and seeking Him. Acts chapter 20, uh, 17, verse 26. One of my favorite scriptures on this. And it, watch what he says. And He who made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of this earth. Watch this. Having determined allotted periods. So, okay, so God determined when you would live. God determined the generation you'd live in. God determined the time you would live in. You are not here by accident. He has a purpose for your life. He determined that. Well, let's just go further. And the boundaries of their dwelling place. God has determined where you would live. Why? That they should seek God. In the hope that they may feel their way towards Him and find Him. God may have placed you in some difficult circumstances, in some difficult situations. Why? So you would seek Him. So that you would find Him. So that you wouldn't reject Him. Yet He is actually not far from each of us. In Him we live more and have, a, have our being. As even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. In Acts chapter 10, there's a story about Cornelius. Cornelius is like this Gentile, and and the gospel hadn't gone to the Gentiles yet. And Cornelius is in his house having a prayer time, and he's seeking God. He's like, God, I'm diligently seeking to you. How can I find you? On the other side of town, Simon Peter is having a prayer time as well. God speaks to him and says, Simon Peter, you go to this man named Cornelius, and you testify about him. And And Cornelius... Simon Peter did it, and Cornelius became a Christian. His whole family became a Christian. I have a friend, his name is Eddie Payton, and for 14 years he was a missionary to the Muslims, and the Muslim people group is one of the hardest people groups to reach because when they come out of that religion, that they, they, they give up all of their culture, they give up all of their relationships, they give up all of their... It's one of the hardest people groups to reach. And Eddie Pete was, was in, a, in an unnamed country for like 14 years. And he said, do you realize more Muslims are coming to faith in Christ because of dreams and visions? Because Jesus Christ is revealing himself to them in a dream or a vision. Eddie Pate has story after story of people that that he did not even know. They came and knocked on his door and said, listen, this man named Jesus came to me in a dream last night. And he told me that you were a Christ follower, and if I would come to you, you would give me a Bible, and you would disciple me, and you would teach me. Truth is, no one will be excluded from heaven because they have never heard of Jesus. The truth is, They will be excluded from heaven because they've heard of him and they have rejected him. They have free will. I got hundreds upon hundreds upon hundreds of stories in this place that many people walked in this place very far from him and started diligently searching him and searching for him. And some took weeks and some took months. And they came to the place where they accepted him. See, God's a loving and patient God. He will not give up on you. And can I tell you this? 
you got a group of pastors, regardless of what you do, we're not giving up on you. There's not. I thank the Lord that he did not give up on me. And he was patient with me. Even in rebellion. Scripture says that God has chosen each one of us. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. And the question to you, you're not chained to a chair. Are you going to choose him? That's your question this morning. Have you come to the place in your life where you know that you know that you know where you have chosen him, where you have accepted him and started a relationship with him and you haven't rejected him. Would you bow your heads with me and close your eyes? And let me just ask you this morning, And what does God want you to do? How does God want you to respond to this message? Do you know he's been revealing to himself to you outwardly and inwardly? Maybe outwardly, not, even, not only in creation, but he's placed Christians in your path. And he's had people talk to you and witness to you. He's had people invite you to the church. fact is, that's why you're sitting here this morning. Someone just brought you here. That's God revealing himself to you and you're a deeply loved person if you have people in your life that care about your eternal destiny and where you are spiritually there's an outward revelation there's an inward to where you know that you know that he's drawing you so this morning I'm just going to ask you have you chosen him I'm not asking you where do you go to church don't play church don't, don't get religious on me I am asking you, do you have a relationship with him? Have you said, Lord, I choose you, and I choose to follow you into the very best of my ability. I'm going to learn about you. I'm going to learn about your word. I'll change anything in my life that I have to. 